Lord inerrant, authoritative word. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we want to ask now that you will send your Holy Spirit so that your word will go forth with great power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction so that our lives will be transformed, so that we will reflect the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, just a little more. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. When I was a student in seminary, I enjoyed going to the bookstore and seeing what new books came in. And as I was going through the list of new books, I noticed that D.A. Carson came out with another book. And it just so happens that his wife was working upon, uh, around the counter. So I asked her, how is it that your husband is able to write so many books? And I'll never forget, she looked at me like that was the stupidest question she ever heard. And she said, discipline, pure and simple. Now, I'm not the only one who asks stupid questions. Uh, occasionally, I've heard women ask other women how is it that you keep your house so clean? I don't think I've ever heard an answer because I don't think they know what to say. Well, at our house, when we have dirty laundry, we put it in a basket. I carry it down to the washing machine. I put it in. I mean, what, what are you supposed to say? It's been said. I don't know who said it first, but the future belongs to the disciplined. And that is true. Whether you're talking about success when it comes to writing books, cleaning the house, sports, fitness, music, finances, education, business, it doesn't matter. The future belongs to the disciplined. And the same is true for the Christian life. This is what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, beginning at verse 24. He said, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. For every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body. And keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be qualified. Excuse me, disqualified. Paul said, I discipline my body. Other translations say, I buffet 
my body. And by the way, that is the right uh, pronunciation. It's buffet. It's not buffet. That's, that's very different. I discipline my body. I buffet my body. J. Oswald Sanders said, before you can conquer the world, we must first conquer the self. You must first conquer laziness. You must first conquer sin. You must first conquer fill in the blank. What specifically needs to be conquered will vary from person to person, but we have one thing in common. We all need to be disciplined. Now, in our passage this morning, we have two imperatives, two commands. The first one was found in verse 5, right at the beginning. Peter said, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Make every effort is a good translation. I think the idea is pretty clear. Work really hard to supplement or add to your faith. And then the second imperative is found in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. So exercise every effort. Be all the more diligent. So in a word, we could say that Peter is commanding these believers and us to be men and women of discipline. And that's what we want to look at this morning. If you're taking notes, um, I have three points I'd like us to consider. I've worded them as a question that we'll answer. The first one is, how can you discipline yourself? And then the second point is, what is the focus of this discipline? And then the third point is, why should you be disciplined? So let's begin with how you can discipline yourself. So again, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, etc. For this very reason takes us back to verses 3 and 4, which are one sentence in the Greek, and we could summarize it this way. Because God's divine power is at work in you, you must now make every effort to add all these virtues to your faith. The link between God's work in us and our working is very important. Because if you don't have that connection, all we have this morning is moralism. All you're going to hear is me saying, just try a little bit harder to be a good person. That's part of the message. But I'm saying be a better person, be a godly person, because God is working in you. Now, when it comes to the new birth or being born again, That is a result of God working through the spirits alone. Theologians refer to that as monergism, which simply means one person exercising energy. When you were born again, given new life, regenerated, that was because God alone worked in your life, giving you new spiritual life. And then you responded to that through repentance and faith in Christ. 
But when it comes to sanctification, when it comes to working out your salvation, growing in godliness and Christ-likeness, that is known as synergism, where we work with God. So God works and we work at the same time. I don't know if you've ever considered this before, but synergism is actually very fascinating how it works in nature. Uh, it's been said that one horse, and I know there's different kinds of horses, so some are stronger than others, but it's been said that one horse can pull 6,000 pounds. So if you would put two horses together, how much would you think that two horses could pull? You might be tempted to think that two horses together could pull 12,000 pounds, but you would be wrong. Two horses together can pull 18,000 pounds. That's synergism. They don't just double their work because they add to it, but they actually empower each other so that they can do way more together than they would separately. And we are living the Christian life with God helping us. And many verses talk about this. One is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for your salvation. That's very important. Work out your salvation. God has worked salvation in you. Now it's your responsibility to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. And then here's the key, verse 13. For, or because, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Literally, literally, I would translate it this way. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in you both to desire and to work. God is changing you from the inside. He's changing your desires, and he's giving you the ability to work. And because of that, our responsibility now is to work out what he has worked in. So that's synergism in the Christian life. Another example is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Paul says, him, talking about Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works in me. Paul said, I, I toil, I struggle. It's blood, sweat, and tears doing the work of ministry, but I do it all with his energy at work within me. I re remember when my nephew uh, Jeremy was just a little kid. Now, now he has three little kids of his own. Uh, but when he was just a little kid, he was over at my mother's house, and she wanted a, a heavy glass table moved. So I, so I said to my nephew, I said, why don't you grab a hold of that table and, and pull it? And he grabbed the table, and, and, went, and the table didn't go anywhere. And I said, why don't you give it one more try? So he grabs the table. And while he was, wasn't looking, I grabbed around behind him, grabbed the table, and he went, ugh, and he, and he pulled the table. I said, that's great. You are strong. That, that's synergy. We grunt. We groan. 
Ministry is so hard. And in the meantime, God's almighty right hand is empowering us to do the work of ministry. We're not doing it alone. We have a helper alongside of us. On one occasion, Charles Spurgeon was asked, how is it that you are able to do the work of two men? He said, have you forgotten? We are too. If I can give you another uh, story about Spurgeon, uh, Steve Lawson said that when he would preach in the Metropolitan Tabernacle, it's one of those, one of those high pulpits, and there were 15 steps leading up to the pulpit. And the story is said that when he ascended to the pulpit, he would, stay at, he would say at every step along the way, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I say that almost every single Sunday. I don't say it by ways of a magical mantra. If I just say these words, God will empower me. I say it as a reminder to myself that I'm about to step up behind the pulpit. I do so with fear and trembling, but God is with me. I can do what he's calling me to do. So it's a reminder to me that God is with me and it's a prayer. God, please be with me. And you can do that for whatever God's calling you to do. It doesn't have to be preaching. It could be your job. I know some of you, you go to work and it's tough. I remember when I first became a Christian, I worked in a factory, the graveyard shift. I would go there at midnight and I felt like I was going into the devil's den. And I would pray for God to help me in that difficult situation. And I know some of you can relate to that. You're not alone. God is at work within you so that you can do what he's calling you to do. So how can you discipline yourself? Because God's spirit is at work within you. Number two, what is the focus of this discipline? Peter's focus here is not physical or musical or educational. Rather, it is godly character. Peter wants these believers to grow. Look at verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. You have grace and peace already, but Peter wants it to be multiplied. And then verse 8. For if these qualities, the eight virtues that he mentioned in the previous verses, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, he wants them to be increasing. He wants them to be growing in your life. And then the very last verse of this epistle but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Make sure these virtues are, are increasing. Grow in grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter wants the Christians to grow. Now, in verses 5 through 7, we have a, a list of uh, virtues or Christian qualities. Uh, the precise order is not important, uh, but what is significant is that it begins with faith and ends with love. We are building upon our faith. So if you're not a Christian, if, if you don't have faith, it should be obvious, you then can't build upon it. So if you're, if you're not a Christian, Peter isn't saying, now add these virtues. If you're not a Christian, what Peter would say is, repent and put your faith in Christ. And then you can add these virtues to your Christian life. So it begins with faith 
And it is also significant that it ends with love. In 1 Corinthians 13, which is commonly known as the love chapter, Paul says in the last verse, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is what? Love. The greatest of all the virtues is love. So think of verses 5 through 7 as building a wall of, of character. The, the foundation is faith. It begins with repentance and, and faith in Christ. And then brick by brick, you just add upon that. You add virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, brother, brotherly love. And then finally, you cap it all off with love. And if we are loving Christians, we will fulfill all that the law requires. If you want a nice, easy summary of the Ten Commandments, love God and love your neighbor. In Romans 13, 8 through 10, Paul said, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, or any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. It said that there are 613 commandments in the Old Testament. I haven't personally counted them, but I'm told there's 613 commandments, and you can obey all of them, even if you don't know what they are, just by loving God and loving your neighbor. So it starts with faith, and it culminates in love. Now, I need to highlight a word here that's, that's very significant, and it doesn't quite come out in the English. Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Some translations said that you add, add to your faith. It's one of those hard Greek words that is really uh, difficult to translate into English. This is what William Barclay says in his commentary. He says the Greek verb comes from the noun choreagos, which literally means the leader of a chorus. Perhaps the greatest gift that Greece, and especially Athens, gave to the world was the great works of men like Sophocles and Euripides, which are still among its most cherished possessions. All these plays needed large choruses and were therefore very expensive to produce. Think of it as the ancient version of a Broadway musical. Barclay goes on to say, In the great days of Athens, there were public-spirited citizens who voluntarily took on the duty at their own expense of collecting, maintaining, training, and equipping such choruses. The men who undertook these duties out of their own pocket and out of love for their city were called choreagoi, our Greek word. He says, the word has a certain lavishness in it. It never means to equip in any miserly way. It means lavishly to pour out everything that is necessary for a noble performance. This word went out into the world and it grew to mean not only to equip a chorus, 
but it could be used as anyone who took responsibility for any kind of equipment. It could mean to equip an army with all the necessary provisions, and it can mean to equip the soul with all the necessary virtues for life. So Peter is saying, you've been given this faith. Now I want you to generously, lavishly take this faith and turn it into a beautiful production. And we should ask the question, what will this beautiful production look like in the end? It will look just like Jesus Christ. Peter is telling us to add all these virtues to our faith and to cap it all off with love so that we can reflect the character of Christ. And when he says supplement, he's saying, you make sure, you just pour it on this faith. You give it everything you got. Don't hold back. Don't be miserly. Be generous so that you can build on what God has given to you. Remember our calling back in verse 3? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Your calling is to reflect the glory and the excellence or virtue of God. So, number one, how can you discipline yourself because of God's spirit within you? What is the focus of this discipline? Virtue that reflects the character of God and Jesus Christ. And number three, why should you be disciplined? Peter gives a couple of reasons. First of all, so you can be effective and fruitful in the Christian life. He wants you to be effective and fruitful. In verse 8 we read, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants these qualities to be increasing. Are these qualities increasing in your life? Are they increasing to such an extent that other people around you can, can see the change? It's wonderful to hear from time to time about, about a person who, who has grown, and someone says, this, this person has grown over time. They're, they're not the same person. I remember Sinclair Ferguson one time commenting about R.C. Sproul, and he said, it's been a joy to watch R.C. grow in grace over the years, and perhaps someday I'll have an opportunity to ask, what exactly did you mean by that? But, but what a compliment to say, I've seen this individual grow over time. Are you growing to such an extent that those around you can, can see this, this person is growing in love and, and peace and patience? Self-control, can, can they see the change in you? And here's the thing, you're, you're either growing or you're decreasing. These qualities are either increasing or decreasing. You, you don't just stay stagnant. That's, that's not a, a possibility. I don't know if any of you have had this experience going to the ocean. I'm not the greatest swimmer, but one time I was visiting a good friend of mine down in Texas, and, and we went to the to the ocean and the current was kind of strong and and I and I started to drift out and I'm like going a little further and a little further from from shore and I'm like okay I I got I got I got to get back to shore that's how that's how the Christian life is 
if you think you're just going to float there, if you think you're just going to drift, that the tide of the world is, is going to take you away from God. That's what happens naturally if you just stagnate. You have to exert effort, maybe just to tread water, and you have to exert effort if you're going to move forward in the Christian life. In other words, you have to be disciplined. You're not just going to drift into godliness without, without effort. It's, it's not like our children who just grow up automatically. We, you know, we see these little kids around here. You know, we haven't seen them for a year. And all, all of a sudden, we're like, wow, they, they shot up. What a, what a growth spurt. Sometimes I feel like Zach has a growth spurt from day to day. <laughs> I saw him one day. He's walking by. I'm like, you look taller today. Some of our kids are like that. They have these growth spurts. Others of us, like me, 57, I'm still waiting for my growth spurt. But, but the Christian life is not like, it's not just automatic. You know, we can't just assume, well, I'll see this person a year from now, and it'll be fun to see how they've changed, how they've grown up. It's, it's not automatic. Some people just get older. They don't grow up. I feel like we live in a culture of adolescence. So many people in our culture, I feel like they behave like they're junior hires. It's, it's not automatic. We have, to, we have to apply effort. In Colossians 3, 2, Paul says, Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And then this is what we read in verse 9 of, of Peter. For whoever lacks these qualities... And the assumption, otherwise he wouldn't be writing this, the assumption is that some most likely were. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now this verse can get a little technical, but this much is clear. Some Christians don't have these qualities because they have forgotten that they were cleansed from their former sins. Now you might be wondering, how could a Christian forget that they were cleansed of their former sins? How could they forget that God forgave them, reconciled to himself, and adopted them and brought them into the family? How in the world could they forget that? It must be that they're so focused on the things of this world that they don't set their minds on things above. Like Peter walking on the water, and instead of keeping his eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus, he starts to look at the waves and he begins to, to sink. Must be that they're, they're focused. Their, their mindset isn't in the right direction. And, be, and because of that, they, they lack these qualities. We don't, we don't want that. If you want to be effective and fruitful, these virtues need to be increasing. And notice what Peter says is the foundation of these virtues in, in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I never tire of saying that this knowledge is more than head knowledge. But it is not less than that. To know God in a, in a personal way, you need to know him. You need to be well acquainted with this book, frankly, I'm, I'm amazed at how many people have been Christians over the years and they still haven't read the Bible. God gave you a book. You've been a Christian for how many years and you haven't 
read the Bible, if you want to know God, this is where he reveals himself. He reveals himself in the person of Jesus Christ, and he reveals himself in his word. So if you wake up in the morning and you're thinking, I would like to know God better, grab a Bible, open it up, and start to read. I don't care if it's a physical book, if it's an app on your phone, just find some Bible, open it up, and study it. But of course, this knowledge is more than just head knowledge. It's more than just knowing facts about God. It's actually knowing God in a personal way. Like a man who who knows his wife personally, intimately. Because he doesn't just read books about his wife or women in general. He sits down with his wife. They have a relationship. They get to know each other. That's how we grow in the knowledge of God. It's a relationship. We spend time with him. And when we have that knowledge and attitude, it makes all the difference. There's, there's a wonderful story about a religious gathering where a famous actor and an elderly minister were both present. The actor, while not on the program, it said, was nevertheless asked by the MC to come forward and give a word. At a loss as to what to say, he turned to the elderly minister and whispered, I don't really know what to do. The seasoned pastor handed his Bible to the actor and replied, Just read Psalm 23. The actor stood and with his eloquent voice read the psalm. When he finished, he wasn't quite sure what to do, so he turned to the minister and announced, Well, I'd like the minister to come up and say a few words about this. The minister surprised everyone by merely reciting the psalm again and then sitting down. The actor leaned over to him and said, You did much better than I did, and now I understand why. I knew the psalm, but you knew the shepherd. That's the key. If you know the shepherd personally and intimately, that is going to flow in everything that you do in your life. And that's the kind of knowledge that Peter says you need to have that knowledge and then build on that knowledge by becoming a person of character. And then he gives another reason why we should be disciplined so that you will never fall, but will enter into the eternal kingdom. Verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Godliness results in an assurance of salvation. You know, nobody has to tell you, you know that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. You know that God has called you to himself. And that knowledge, that confidence will provide strength for you so that you will never fall. This is how it's literally worded in the Greek. So that by no means will you fall ever. (laughs) This is Peter's way of saying with emphasis, if these things are flowing in your life, if you are diligent, I guarantee you will never fall. You will stand firm. Whatever storms may blow into your life, and they will come. But like Job, you will stand firm. 
Maybe you will mourn. Maybe you will weep. But you will stand firm. And that strength and that confidence comes from knowing that you know God. And that comes from knowing Him and walking with Him. There is a strength in character. Sometimes we have just little compromises in our lives. And if we could see how that weakens us, how it wounds our conscience, how it grieves and quenches the Holy Spirit, we would realize that just a little compromise in our character is weakening us when we all need to be strong. We are all going to experience tremendous difficulties. All we have to do is live long enough. So let us live lives so that day by day we can be stronger so that when the storm comes, we can stand. And also we can know what's waiting for us. Verse 11, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the question I have for you is, is this discipline evidence in your life? If I were to ask you, I won't, but if I were to ask you after the service, do you have disciplines that you could point to right now that show that you're working on this? Could you say, yes, Pastor Wayne, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this specifically so that I can grow as a man or woman of virtue. Is there anything that you can point to? You know, it's interesting. We, we used to talk about discipline all the time. I, I have this book by Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline, and then a follow-up book, The Challenge of the Discipline Life. So I guess he wrote his first book, The Spirit of the Disciplines, or excuse me, yeah, celebration of discipline. And then someone said, it's really hard. So, so then, okay, let's write about the challenge of discipline. And then there's this book, Annie Ortland, Disciplines of the Beautiful Woman. Great book. Michelle read it. Then there's this, this one, Disciplines of a Godly Man by Kent Hughes. So we, we used to write books about discipline, the, the spiritual disciplines. I don't know what happened to that. Perhaps we, we're afraid that if we em- emphasize hard work and discipline, it'll sound too much like, like work and like we're turning away from grace. We're not turning away from grace. We're working hard because of God's grace. They're not, they're not opposed to each other. They, they work together. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, the apostle said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he says, But God's grace to me was not in vain. I worked harder than all of them. Talking about the apostles, I worked harder than all of them. Yet it wasn't I, but God's grace that was at work within me. Grace enables us to work. That's that's the calling. God is calling us to hard work. That's not opposed to grace. That's not opposed to faith. They they work together. So again, is that is that evidence in your in your life? Years ago, the, the Christian artist Keith Green wrote a song, and this is how part of it went. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you, you can't even get out of bed. Oh, Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, get out of your bed. Jesus rose from the grave. And how many Christians can't even get out of bed? Open up their Bible. 
Get down on your knees. Pray. Spend some time with Jesus. Find their satisfaction in Him so that then they can go through their day as Christians God wants them to be. And I can hear it now. You don't know how busy I am, Pastor Wayne. Unless you're a mother with a bunch of little kids, you're not too busy. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. If something is important enough for you, you will find time. On one occasion, Martin Luther said, I'm so busy, I must spend the first three hours in prayer. If you're busy, you need to spend more time in prayer, not less, because you need more power for God to enable you to do what he's calling you to do. Imagine asking Martin Luther to get to heaven. How were you able to accomplish so much for the advancement of the Reformation? He'd look at you like, that was the stupidest question. <laughs> the truth is, if you look at his life, the answer really was discipline, pure and simple. Nobody accomplishes anything, again, in any realm without discipline. It's not like there's a big secret here. Sometimes we're looking for a secret. What is the secret to growing as a Christian and being a strong, effective, fruitful ministry? What's the secret? I'm glad you asked. Discipline. That's the secret. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how practical it is at times. And sometimes because it's so practical, it rebukes us and challenges us. Father, I want to pray for all the dear saints in this room that they would grow in discipline, that they would grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would grow in fruitfulness. Father, if there are any who do not know Christ, I pray that you will open their eyes so that they will see that they need forgiveness. I pray that they would see that Jesus Christ is their only hope of salvation. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.